Hello, I'm Joanna Lumley. I'm in my garden in London, and I'm walking down the garden path to the music room. In there, I'll find my husband, the composer and conductor, Stephen Barlow. Now, we've been married almost 40 years, and I think, however long you've been with someone, you have questions that you'd like to ask your partner. So this podcast is my chance to ask Stephen the questions I've always wanted to ask him about one of his and my greatest passions, classical music. Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Welcome to this episode of Joanna and the Maestro. And it's like going right back to the beginning for me, Stevie, because this is all going to be about theory. Mm. Where do we start? How do we (laughs) even start on the rudiments of music? Well, I've a bit of a bee in my bonnet about this because I mentioned when we were talking about ideas for our podcasts that when I was very young, when I was eight or nine, and I was already playing the piano and was a bit obsessed with with playing the piano, the sounds, and, and singing in the Chelmsford Cathedral Choir and, you know, learning to read music properly. And and a friend of mine, the next door neighbor's son, Stephen, Stephen Frostick, and this is going back, you know, 60-odd years, he would see me with some music in our house and he'd say, oh, God, you're doing all that Russian again. And it, it stuck with me because to him, just looking at music, it was like just hieroglyphics, which mean nothing. He couldn't translate it. He didn't play the piano. He had no musical interest, really. And it just isn't that complicated. And so I thought it would be quite good just to sort of blow the dust off that idea of complication Mm. and just look at how simple notation is, what the blobs on the lines actually mean and how simple it is. So it'd be nice if we just talked about, you know, what those little hieroglyphics mean. It's really very simple. And we've talked about this before, and you, you, you often say to me that you wished that you'd actually learned to read music, because I can now read music like a book. I can open up a score, and I think, actually, rather like Daniel Barenboim, I'd like to take scores with me rather than discs to a desert island. So I can read it, but let's just talk about how notation works. It's like reading a map in a funny way, isn't it? If you can, it's read, a lot simpler. It's but um, but people can read maps. I can read a map without any sorrow at all, and I can look at the gradients and where rivers are and where a church is marked, and where there's a main road or a by road or a sub road or a path, where north and south is. So I'm taking in all this information while I'm looking at a map of where to go, which is all it is really when it's put up in front of you on a piano, a piece of music, is a map of where to go, where to where the music's going, isn't it? I think it's simpler because you some people can can easily look at one, one of the very broad road maps which show your main roads in you know the motorways and the but they don't really show you very much more beyond yellow so little lanes and all that sort of stuff and the contours and to a certain extent you may be right in that musicians do tend to like both timetables 
and maps. So it may be simply coming to terms with looking at symbols and seeing how they all join and come together. But I would say that for a child to learn to read a simple stave with the limited number of notes that can be on there, to be able to see what that note is on a keyboard, which is the, the place to begin, you can then begin to enjoy the sounds that music makes. And of course, that scale, that simplest scale, when you begin to actually play with what's possible in that scale like this, you are immediately taken into the whole beauty of music. How could a you... construction of a melody and a construction of harmonic sounds that sound so lovely. When we teach children to read, most children, they might have a teacher and a blackboard or somebody at the front of the class, but each child will have its own book. Now, when you're teaching a child how to read music, it won't all have its own little piano. So how can you teach music easily to four and five and six-year-olds so that it becomes as easy as learning to read? What system do you think should go into our junior schools? It's singing. Singing. Of course. Of course. Of course it is. Class singing with, with someone teaching children of aged five, six and seven on a blackboard, five lines, and actually teaching them specific tunes so that they begin to understand how a tune works and what they like about a tune. So we talked about intervals before, and you can fall in love with the sixth and falling down to the fifth. So if, if you sing those intervals, you can sing them whichever way you like. Bam, bam, or ta ti da And you're already into the world of being creative. And if on the music, if on the board, somebody can show you what the notes are, because That's, when you're reading, you, you go with your finger along, and so you see that strange word, enough. But the sound enough, and you look at that, the symbols on the page. That's precisely And you recognise right. that clump. That's precisely right. And the essential thing is that there is a way of picking something up by ear, mm. which actually shortcuts the whole process. And immediately you are concentrating on what it looks like on a page. Your possibilities open up greatly. It's rather like introducing children who are becoming quite good at reading to a slightly more interesting book, a longer book, a book that uses different words, a book that introduces you to a different country, a book that introduces you to different characters and different stories. It's exactly the same process. But if you cannot actually read at all, and you're doing everything by ear, then you cannot enjoy that extension of your knowledge. Yeah. So the world remains closed to you. And it's exactly the same with learning to play by ear. 
because just think, I mean, I, I became very good at sight reading music because I just kept on playing, opening a hymn book and playing more and more hymns. So for me, the whole world opened up simply because I was able to read music. And that, I think, is something that every child can be taught very easily. It's just like reading a book. And mind you, I'm not sure either that really reading is taken as seriously as it should be now. No. Well, I don't don't know. I've got such a, a, a fury about so many young people who've left school have struggled or maybe not even conquered the art of reading. And I'm afraid our prisons are full of a lot of people who can't read. And it's not because they're stupid, it's because they haven't mastered it in their own time or somebody hasn't given them enough attention. And so the best thing a parent can ever do with a child is by all means read it, you know, a good night story, but let them sit and follow your finger as it goes along so that the sounds you make are the words you see. Yes. So there's a real connection between reading music. You described music as a language. And it is to the extent that you can create out of the sounds and the symbols, you can create something that speaks to another human being. And it all also gives you a lot of pleasure, which of course is it, when you consider teaching children to read and then perhaps to begin to write, you are talking about exactly the same elements as you should be in music. Now, There's an element here that I always find difficult, which is when people say, oh, but some children have a talent for music. We don't describe reading in that way. We take reading, to a certain extent, as a necessity for life because it's a practical aspect. A road sign, directions, rules, philosophy, all all sorts of things. Now, we don't say to a child, well, oh, but uh, some people are talented, when we're talking about teaching children to read. I'm afraid we do about music, which I think is, is, is wrong. To begin with, reading music is the same for all children. It is simply some hieroglyphs on a table. Now, I understand that certain children then become obsessed with figures, for example, or become obsessed with reading. My sister, for example, really couldn't ever go to bed without hiding her torch away and reading under the bedclothes every single night. When she was very young, she became obsessed with Reading, 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 reading. Now, she's turned out to be a linguist, and she's a wonderful linguist. She speaks several languages. She became obsessed with the word and the story and literature. And, of course, people can develop their interests in that way, rather like mathematicians. My brothers are very, very good at maths. Well, the sort of maths he talks about, I can't can't grapple with at all. And when you're talking about pure maths and physics and all that sort of stuff, that's for those children who were absolutely caught up in what those hieroglyphics could do. And my brother is also very much into statistics of all kinds, mainly cricket, but he teaches it as well. 
So, you, you know, and I enjoyed maths to a great extent until I was about 13, 14. And then it was the other kind of hieroglyphics that got me, which is music. But we all learned to read music, all three of us siblings, my sister and my brother. And we all played instruments, and my brother still plays. My sister has just recently picked up her violin again. These things never go away. And it can be so simple to teach a child that simplest of all languages, a few blobs on a stave. Mm. And then, of course, people often don't quite understand what we mean by expression in music, i.e. the instructions of how you're supposed to play something. So, for example, I've given you a little test, haven't I? Yes, they're quite. They're sometimes they're mostly in Italian, it seems to me, rather than in German. Yes, well, I mean, it would be hopeless, wouldn't it, if we had some in in the language of New Guinea and some in Cyrillic and some in Eskimo languages. <laughs> and Italy is the is the culture from which so much of the basis of our writing music mm. comes from. So, there's your little test. I've written down P. Now, what do you think that means when it's written over a piece of music? Piano, quietly. Piano. Well, there you are. Yes, softly. Softly. And MF? Mezzo forte, halfway to loud. Yes. <laughs> FF, very loud. Fortissimo. Fortissimo. Crescendo, which means growing, from crescent and croissant, which means curving, That's exactly, like the moon. Exactly right. Growing. And dim, diminuendo, yeah, so diminishing, dim, short. getting shorter, yep. getting fading away. That's exactly right. And what would rit, retardando mean? It means retiring. <laughs> it doesn't. It means... What's getting slower. Getting slower. Yep, absolutely. It's the simplest possible thing. Mm. And we have little symbols too in music. I don't know how to describe it. We, we call it a hairpin. It, which is like a hairpin. It's like a V-shape. It's the, it's the sign that, that K-pop do round their eyes and they're taking photographs. That's There's right. two fingers held out like that. Yes. Which if held up look rude. If held up the other way look like victory. But if you put them sideways, they go louder, getting louder in That's music. That's right. Or That's getting right. quieter in or music. Or getting softer. And we, we call them hairpins in the business. Yeah. Put in a hairpin up, please. Yeah. And that means do a crescendo over a certain amount of time. And at the end of a bar, if you put two dots, it means play the same thing again, doesn't it? That's a repeat sign. Yeah. Yes. And you put those at, at the end of the section from which you go back to the beginning and there would be two dots at the beginning as well. So, and how fast should a piece of music go? Yes, well, this, because quite often the composer will write something. Yes, like we call Alleg it a tempo marking. Allegro moderato or something like that. And tempo means the time yes. and, and speed. And so who has established what is the general speed? How is that marked? Because I know you have a metronome, which incidentally, for some reason, I find the most frightening sound in the world is metronomic sound. Ah. I don't know why, apart from aeroplanes, which we have plenty. But <laughs> metronomic sound is the second most frightening sound in the world to me. And it's something about the regularity of that tick-tock, which you find like bliss. You'd be quite happy sitting on a railway station with a metronome going. No, I, no, 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 no. Well, I do like the sound of clocks ticking. Yes, you're oh, absolutely no. right. Now, now, look, before you go any further, you, the click track. Yeah. <laughs> you can't imagine a lot of a lot of rock music or pop music without it. The musician going into a studio to put a backing on, onto a pop song, they put on the headphones and... 
goes on through their heads as they're playing. It's an invaluable thing. But you're right. Composers sometimes put up a metronome mark to indicate how many beats per minute. And the, uh, that's, that's used in all types of music as well. You know, in rave and club music, there are certain metronome, certain speeds mm. that are given for certain types of music. At the front of each of a piece of music on the treble clef thing, it quite often puts something like 6-8 or 3-4. Yeah, you, it, it, let, let's just stick with speed for the moment and we can come to Isn't time speed? signatures. No. Oh, that's time signatures. No, speed is fast, slow, not so fast, not so slow. Okay. So I've, I've given you another little test there. Thank you. What does allegro mean? Fast. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty simple, really, isn't it? Um, lento. Slowly. Yes. And andante. That means at a walking pace. These are all Latin. Yes. This all comes from Latin, which well, is very Italian. Italian all, I know, but they're all. Uh, the, the reason I know all these is because I know Latin. And any guesses for presto? No, but I would have thought it would be lively or something like that. No, presto, presto means presto, fast, 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 really fast, very fast. Allegro really means more lively, quick. When you say in Italy, "I'm going to see you again soon," you go a presto. Hope to see you soon. So it isn't soon on music. You don't write soon up on a piece no, of music. No, presto means, fast. means now. Now. See you yeah, immediately. Fast. So fast. missing you already. Yeah, yep. fabulous. And we okay. also have prestissimo. Yeah, it means very, very fast. <laughs> <Exactly>. Ridiculously fast. <laughs> now, there's a real problem with certain composers. Wagner, for example, who, who despised what other people did with his music mainly, which is why he wanted so much control. And the tempo marking he uses most... And being Wagner, he wrote all of his descriptions in German. Um, and the, the expression is messig, which means moderate. <laughs> it's absolutely useless. So you have to get a bit wise about Wagner's music. He didn't want to be facile by saying this must be performed at two crotchets per minute. He wanted it to be felt. But in the main, uh, the development of composers using markings, words to tell you more about how you, uh, they wanted the music to go or they um, had composed it thinking. With something in mind. I've got That's to say that because, because you tend to learn a piece of music in your head or, or to, to appreciate a piece of music, you hear it being played. And quite often the first time you hear it played seems to be, puts a template up and sometimes you think, oh, I'd like to hear that faster or slower. But you've usually got the first bit lodged in your head. Sometimes I've noticed, and I'm sure this goes on to something else you're going to be furious about, which is that people, usually it's soloists, will simply disregard what seems to me the normal pulse of the music and put their own um, interpretation or extreme sort of um, sentimental additions to a piece. They will play it much, much slower or suddenly trip over a piece, going to go blah, 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 when it should be played more moderately than that, um, more messy than that. So I, so I, that enrages me, but does it enrage you? And is that allowed? Is that permitted? Why can I, soloists suddenly just do that to a piece of music? Well, I, I think I would say that the composer tries his utmost to put onto the score enough information to relay his intention mm. or her intention. So when someone 
takes liberties, i.e. does not do what the composer clearly indicates, then that's a difficulty. That's a difficulty for me because I believe that we should be respectful of the composer. And if you don't like that particular piece of music at the tempo the composer wrote it, then play another piece of music. So those are extremes, though, but the beauty of it is that you can listen to different players playing the same piece of music. Take, for example, the opening movement of the Moonlight Sonata. Bam, 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 beam, bam, beam. You can hear musicians playing that and with slight differences mm. that Beethoven really wouldn't have minded. Mm. Slight differences and a slight difference in volume and a shaping. So it might be slightly softer with... Uh, getting slightly louder towards a point and then softer again. And they can be a beautiful rendition of the same piece of music. Mm. So music can... It's elastic enough. It's elastic enough. And when when you compare the lengths of different conductors' interpretations of, say, a long Bruckner symphony or a Mahler symphony, sometimes the differences in terms of minutes can be a lot. Yeah. Many, many minutes, a a big difference. But they haven't actually taken liberties, i.e. gone against a composer's markings. There's so much variety in it all. Maestro, we can talk... And look at pop music. Look look at covers of of someone's songs. Yes. For example, a Cole Porter song sung by different artists. It can be covered nowadays by someone who will who will do it half as slow, mm. you know, uh, again. And it still remains recognisable and beautiful in its way. We're running out of time, so I've just got to ask you, you've got to be very, very brief on this. Time signatures. <gasps> yes. What are they? What do they do? But you've got to be so brief. It describes how many beats in the bar. Right. So the main beat is based on duple time, which is twos. Which is give so me an example. four equal beats in a bar, crutches, four quarter notes, is written as four four, because of course, a quarter four is a quarter is it, it is is of the whole note, which is four beats long, so that's four four, two four would indicate two of those beats per bar, three four would indicate three. It's, it's, it's that simple. And the figure at the bottom, four over four, is indicating what type of note. So if they are half notes, i.e. a minim, what we call a minim, i.e. The, the note with... The white a, note with a stem White on note it. with a stem, then we write two at the bottom. So it could be four, two, three, two, or five, two. But the two indicates that the main beat is is the half note, and and so it goes on. And seven eight would be seven eighth notes, seven of them. Um, to make it a bit clearer, can you play a little bit of something? Show yeah. me on the three, piano four. what that means. Three, three four. four. That's a so, waltz, isn't it? Yes, it is. But four four would would be. One, two, three, four. Then 
three four is the is the standard rhythm. So. And then, then of course, if you get into some of the sort of more zany rhythms, like seven eight, just think about it. That can be divided into four plus three, or it can be divided into three plus two plus two, or two plus three plus two. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So seven eight. Yeah, or subdivided in in the other um, uh, formulations. Um, in the middle of a piece of music, quite often the composers will change that tempo, won't they? It's the not, time not signature. The, tempo, the, the, time the time signature. signature. Yes, 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 yes. So you could have a bar in 4-4, four, four, followed by a bar in 5-8. So one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. See what I mean? Yeah, I do. So the variety is is, is absolutely immense. And all it's, the other things which we haven't managed to put in, which how do you show it sharp and a flat, and how do you show which key it's in by putting those symbols right at the beginning of the stave. We've got all those little things we've got to talk about, which we're not going to talk about now, Maestro, because we've run out of time. Yes. What but I what, hope we have done yes. is made the case for the reading of music as a very, very much simpler way of being creative and understanding something about the way music is constructed. At a very young age, it's really simple to read alphabets and to construct sentences. And don't forget all this syntax and parsing and all of that is really complicated. Reading music for a child of five or six or seven is a piece of cake. <laughs> and Bob is your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Maestro, for just letting us into this beginning of what is the happiest world we know, which is the world of music. 